0: welcome to the queen trail podcast
1: meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind
0: the journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey you want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan at least have an idea of it because you can make this really
1: amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends old hollywood is still intact every horse runs hard but when they win and they know it, they've got this little sass about them.
0: It was pretty rough, I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the hilo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you?
1: Even if monarchs go away and never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again die out. it is just a little indicator of larger threats then
0: my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I had such a fun week. It's been just a whirlwind of a lot of things. Earlier this week, or I guess last week now because it's Monday, when this episode's going to come out, I got to spend some time with one of my dearest friends, Karen. We are avid hikers. And one of the things that we try to do is get together as often as possible to just walk on the beach. And we did that last week, we started out at the Redondo Beach Pier. And from there, we walked southbound. Um, (laughs) Karen, I have to I have to interrupt myself here to say that Karen is one of the most cutting edge fashionistas that I know she that girl always looks cute every single time that I see her she's just absolutely gorgeous and as much as I love getting together with her that puts a little bit of pressure on you right (laughs) because you want to show up looking cute too so um I put on a cute pair of jeans a crop top and then a zipper front hand knitted sweater with a hood and then i decided to put a little edge on it right so i have these jack purcell converse they're low tops and they're like this gray blue color they're really super cute but if you have a pair of converse or you know ever had a pair you know that they are made from this really tough durable canvas and they will wear your heel (laughs) raw. they're you know they're basketball court shoes they're skater shoes they're all kinds of things but one thing that they are not is walking shoes So, you know, my mind was in looking cute, not being functional, and that's going to be my demise one of these days, I'm telling you. And so we start out at the Redondo Beach Pier, and if you're from the South Bay, this will be familiar to you. We started walking toward Hermosa Beach. And when we got to Pier Avenue, my heels are already starting to hurt. And I'm just kind of thinking, I'm in trouble here because, you know, we have to go back two and a half miles to get to where we started. And Karen says, Well, do you want to turn here or do you want to keep going? And as much as I wanted to keep going, I go, you know what, I think we should just turn here. I didn't want to tell her that my heels were killing me. So we turned and with every step, my heel rubbed. And I tried to scrunch my toes so that my heels could move further away from the back of this shoe. And eventually, I just gave up. I just knew I was going to have a blister on the back of my heels. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but you know, it's funny because Karen and I hike a lot. We love going to different trails and just, we just have such a great time together. And so a few years ago, we hiked Latuna Canyon and I had a brand new pair of all terrain shoes. I I don't know that they were necessarily brand new, actually, to be honest, I had purchased them for another trip, but I decided to wear them on that hike up Latuna Canyon and coming back down, I could just feel that heat and the friction. I'm walking down this hill, this mountain, (laughs) really, and we've got probably three miles to go to get back down. I'm not really sure how far it was up, but we went to the very, very pinnacle of it. And it was great. We had lunch there. It was a glorious day. The red-tailed hawks that you see all over California were circling at eye level. The entire valley was clear. It It was really beautiful. You could see all three airports, Glendale, Burbank, and LAX from there on that particular day and coming down was really tough and I got past that point of where I could feel there was an actual blister there and I didn't have Band-Aids with me. So just a reminder, if you're gonna go hiking, make sure you have some Band-Aids with you. You never know and it could save your heel. So I didn't have any Band-Aids, but I did have some wax paper that I had wrapped my sandwich up in that we ate at the top. So I tore some of that wax paper off and shoved it between my shoe and my heel and kept on walking. It was terrible. And you can't do anything about it. You've got another two miles to go. And the only way to get off of this mountain and stop the torture is to just lean into it, right? Just resign yourself and you're not going to die. Like this this, this shoe is not going to kill you. So it probably took about two months to heal up. And as we were returning to the pier, I thought, oh my God, this is gonna be a repeat. The only person that that has ever happened with is Karen. And both times I was wearing the wrong shoes. So not only should you carry band-aids with you when you're going to go on long walks, but you definitely should start out with the right shoes so that you can avoid having to even use the band-aids. So we made it back and I was just like pretty miserable. And of course, the next day I woke up with like this giant blister on the back of one of my heels and the other heel, of course, was totally messed up too. And you know, you just want to cry because you've got to put shoes on again. And I was actually headed to an appointment with April McCarthy. If you want to listen to her amazing skincare tips, listen to episode 28. I was going to have a Morpheus treatment done. It's a microneedling with electric currents that goes through it and that stimulates the collagen production and your skin looks fantastic. But, you know, like I raced around the house looking for shoes that I could wear that weren't going to kill my heels. And I got there and she came in as she always does. She's such a gem. I can't even tell you what treasure she is. She always comes in, she sits down, she starts talking, and we got to chatting. And I shared with her this damn blister that I had on the back of my heel. She goes, Oh my gosh, you got to take care of that. And I'm like, No, absolutely not. I cannot take care of this because I faint. If, if this like I'm going to baby this blister, and it's just gonna have to go away on its own, because I will faint. And she's like, what? And she got really concerned. You know, we're in a a medical setting. So she's got all this stuff right there that she could take care of it with. And she goes, can I take care of it for you? And I'm like, no, no. What if I faint in here? And She goes, what if you faint later on? She's like, wouldn't you rather just be sitting on a table and not hurt yourself? (laughs) Good point. You have not lived until you have to explain to your boss that you're late to work because of a blister. And it was one of the most thoughtful things to know that I couldn't deal with this thing because I would be in the middle of dealing with it and probably crack my forehead on the floor or on a counter or something. And to have somebody so kindly and gently and tenderly take care of me in just such a selfless way, just blew me away. Like, it was so kind that it immediately instilled in me the need to pay that forward at some point to somebody else. I don't even know how I found such a great friend. It's it's pretty amazing. And then she told me that she's moving out of state, like in the next couple of days. I'm like, oh my god, how am I going to do life without you? Um, But you know, I mean, the, the thing with friendships is if you build them right, you can withstand some distance. So I am looking forward to keeping up on social media until one or the other of us goes to each other's state and we get to hang out with each other again friendships are the balance right like all the stuff that you can't do all the stuff that you don't know all the stuff that you've never thought about that's what your friends are there for to like make your life better and that's exactly what you're there for, for them. There is nothing sweeter than a good friendship, unless you're talking about honey. And that's exactly what we're going to get into in this episode, which is part two of my conversation with Alisa of Sue. Alisa is a honeybee educator. She's a master beekeeper, a mentor, a steward, an educator of honeybees And she is a honey sommelier. And she was kind enough to stop by my house and drop off some pomegranate blossom honey that was delectable, luscious, caramelly, straw colored, amazing flavor. We will get into all of those descriptives and more, you know, how do you store honey? What do you do with it? Do the bees miss it? We had so much fun with the honey tasting and then talking about honeybees. So without further ado, please grab a cuppa and join Alisa of Zubi Sue in this, in the company of Friends Talk. Enjoy.
1: So I recently got certified as a honey sommelier in Italy through their Italian register. Yeah, so they Italy is the only country that has a standard for honey. Honey is one of the most adulterated products next to olive oil. And it's something that you don't really know that's adulterated unless you're testing it. So they created this program. And they have a standard for their varietals, meaning that they're looking for a specific moisture content, a certain flavor profile, aroma profile, certain things that they're looking for in their varietals to make sure that you know keeping the the market honest for consumers, and as well as keeping it competitive for beekeepers. So I took this course, the three part course. I finished the first part um, in December, and it was so incredibly fun. I learned how to taste this honey. So what we'll do is you have your honey. Um, is it handy? It is handy.
0: I've got a little jar here. I've got this lovely glass rod,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is the tasting stick. Is that what yes. that
1: is? Yeah. So this honey is from my friend um, Evan at Be Wild Collective. I really like his varietals. His hives are in Santa Barbara. I agree with the way he keeps his bees and um, just the the reverence he holds for them. So I I love to support him and I love his honey.
0: That's beautiful. So what
1: we do when when we are going to analyze this honey is we're first just going to look at it. So we'll look at the visual aspect of it. From there, we will go into the aroma. We will go into the taste. And then the flavor. So taste and flavor are um, they're used interchangeably, although they're very different. So on our tongue, we can taste five different tastes: sweet, salty, bitter, umami, and sour. But when we have a flavor. We're actually discerning these different flavors through our nose. So it's kind of like through retronasal olfaction, meaning that we will eat something, we'll let it warm up in our mouth, and then that will travel up the pathway through our nose, and then we can really feel the full experience of it. Wow. I'm so excited. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you're sick or something, or you have allergies, different things that are happening in your life can can affect your sense of smell and your sense of taste and flavor as well um you know, like if you have allergies you're sick and you're, your nose is stuffy it's no fun to eat anything because you can't you can't discern anything it's just a texture there's nothing right. to it but then you know as as your nose clears or even when you're pregnant these can affect that part of your senses so it's just kind of, you know, using all of those together to figure out the different nuances. So uh, let's start by just looking at the honey. Mm-hmm. So we would say, so this honey is crystallized, which is a good thing. A, a good honey, a natural honey that hasn't been heated and hasn't had anything added to it will crystallize. So when you see a crystallized honey, you know, it's good. It's not a bad thing to ever see. This honey was harvested, I believe, in December. So just by looking at it, its I would say the, the crystals are even, right? It's just kind of like a blob. Yes. <laughs> and it looks really smooth. And the color of it, to me, it's hard to tell because it's not as light outside anymore, but it looks kind of like a butterscotch.
0: Yes, I would agree with that. I was going to describe that whole texture, the movement, the glossiness, mm-hmm. the viscosity, and everything. Like maybe a little bit like a caramel or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. It is, it, but it is, yeah, right
0: it's it's a lighter color. It's um a little bit like some somewhere in between butterscotch and and maybe evaporated milk or something.
1: Oh yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it kind of like, I don't know if it's just the shape of my wine glass, but parts of it, it's definitely lighter around the edges and it is in the middle. It kind of reminds me of almost like an egg yolk. Yeah,
0: egg yolk is, is held together and it's got that strength to it.
1: Mm-hmm. So we can take our stir stick and what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of stir it around the edges of the glass to kind of open up the aroma of it. So you're bringing it up the edges and just really get in there. Just it kind of, kind of surround it around. Around. Yeah, smear it around. So it, when you do stick your nose in, it can really surround your nose. So for listeners,
0: there's about two teaspoons at the bottom of my wine glass. And I'm just kind of spreading this very viscous, tacky, but glossy I'm trying to think of, in terms of cooking, this would be like a softball state. Mm -hmm. You know, you drop it in water and it's still going to be tacky. It's not going to turn into one of those hard crystals. Uh, I'm just kind of turning it into sunburst.
1: Yeah. Once you feel like you've kind of gotten it around the edges, stick your nose in. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not what you would expect, right? There is definitely a butterscotchy, milky, floral Mm-hmm. I guess Sweet. I should have talked a little bit about that aroma <laughs> meal. So we also have this aroma wheel in front of us that has seven different categories on it. And you're, when you're looking at your aroma wheel, honey can be any combination of these. Nothing is right. Nothing is wrong because it's different for everybody. What you smell today may be different than what you smell tomorrow. Same with what flavors you discern. It can change from day to day. And that's the fun part of it. But getting deep into the actual... Um, you know, yes, this is fruity, but what kind of fruit is it? Is it a citrus? Is it like a pith of the lime? Or is it dried banana? Or is it jam, which would also fall under the warm category, because you kind of get this candied, malted, toasted flavor, or it can be like a toasted almond or like you said, animal that can not animal, you said milk that can kind of fall under animal being a little lactic. And that doesn't make it Bad. You can also have a chemical smell like a rubber or something, and that doesn't make it bad. That's just whatever they were foraging on that brings out these aromas and flavors. I kind of get like a little wet green, like right now, if I were to go outside and smell the dirt (laughs) or smell like a pile (laughs) of leaves because it's been raining, that's kind of what it smells a little bit like to me. But I also get like this fresh smell kind of like fresh hay. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And then also I definitely get a tartness. Do you get any floral scents? Smell a little bit of floral. I do get a sweetness of some sort, but it kind of like... The smelling it triggers that feeling of like eating a sour patch kid to me. Oh, funny! <laughs> yeah. Well, because you know that's, like- a- that's also the fun part about doing this is that you may not even be able to be like this smells like something. You can be like, oh, this smells like my grandma's house, and I would go there, and she'd always give me a bag of Worthers Or this smells like when I would wake up for school first thing in the morning. So it could also trigger some kind of scent memory. Yeah, I definitely smell wax. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a beeswax? Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So honey itself, what is it? Does it have wax mixed into it naturally?
1: No. So they store it in the wax. And that's also something that can impart flavors into the honey and to the aroma as well is the human interaction with it. So, yes, you could definitely get the taste of wax because it could, after the fact, have wax in it depending on how it was processed. If it was crushed, then it could get bits of pollen, bits of wax in it. Mm. Um, But also you could get like a metallic taste if it was stored improperly. Like a, a lot of people like to store honey in a ball jar and usually the twisty part of it will rust a little bit and that can impart a different flavor aroma and even a different color to the honey um everybody loves these little plastic bears that can change the flavor of it too because it's plastic it will leach but then also those mass-produced bears or honey that goes into those bears could be imported and stored in like metal drums Or, you know, uh, whoever harvests the honey could use too much smoke. And that can also impart the flavor on it too. Or the aroma is like a smoky flavor. So there's different things that we can do to kind of like goof it up (laughs) if we're not careful in our harvesting. But there's also like the natural compounds. Like now that you say wax, like, yes, I definitely do get that fresh wax scent in there too. Yeah.
0: I think that might be the first thing. That and that might be why I kind of think milk a little bit or Mm -hmm. that lactic scent. So this uh, honey aroma wheel, and of course, I will also put pictures up. The honey wheel has floral, fruity, warm, aromatic, vegetal, chemical, and animal scents, and then that's broken out into finer scents that are associated with those seven categories, and. Mm -hmm. I would say that everything within the warm area mm-hmm. is what what I'm primarily smelling when I smell this honey. And I'm wondering if a little bit of aromatic. The resinous, I guess that, that might be the wax that I'm smelling.
1: So it, when they say resinous here, it's more so like menthol-y. It's more like camphorous or like a lavender oh, okay. type thing. But I think when with the beeswax... That would probably fall more under, hmm, I don't know. I mean, it, you, you don't necessarily have to categorize that. It's beeswax it could be anything. It could be, it could be kind of vegetal in a way because it's almost like a green type scent. Um, but there's no right or wrong. That's the fun part is that you don't have to categorize anything. And it could be as like you can Google some honey and they can be like crazy concise. But it's all a suggestion. Because even though we have the ability to detect these different aromas and flavors, we can only really articulate so many of them. Cause it's all it's all kind of learned. So it's like when I was first taking this class, I just felt my brain firing into nowhere. The first day, I was like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I don't know how to do this. Mm. <laughs> it's not, I just, I don't get it. And the teacher kept saying like, it's just fun. Just have fun. Like just quit trying to like to hone in on what it should be. You need to figure it out. And I was like, okay. okay. And then as days went on, I was like, okay, okay. I get it. Cause you're training yourself and you're turning on that part of your brain. And then you're like, oh, and then you start trying different things. Like with doing this with like chocolate and wine and, Olive oil, because, you know, we even the olives that you're making too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. It's really fun because I feel like being present while eating is a lost art. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean,
0: there's so much that's fascinating about this. And then just even, you know, I'm sitting here with this stir stick. And it probably looks like I'm playing with my food. Yeah. And <laughs> we don't do, but I'm all of a sudden like, you know, oh, just feeling the texture and mm-hmm. really getting to know this food that I've known since I was a little kid, but never really was mindful enough to this degree that it's like, whoa, let me learn a little bit more about this. It's very creamy mm-hmm. and a, a friend of mine gave me some avocado blossom honey for mm-hmm. Christmas and it was probably the one of the first honeys that I've gotten that was very thick like oh yeah like molasses. this honey is as well very molassesy, it's very dark yes and I just assumed that it had been whipped or uh, that there was a lot of wax content in there so I just think it's really interesting how different honeys have different textures and have mm-hmm. those different colors that you were just talking about yeah and I'm assuming, because I'm going to, like, when we're done, I'm going to go grab that honey (laughs) and grab another wine glass (laughs) and do a little comparison here. Um, I'm assuming it probably has a completely different palette on this honey aroma wheel than this honey does.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, you know, there's also a grade in when we're learning about this. It's like, is the scent weak? Is it intense? Is it medium? And then when you taste it, does it linger? And things like that. So that there's different ways about it. Because you smell some honeys and it will just smack you in the face. And then you'll smell another and be like, it doesn't smell like anything. But also a good way to reset your nose is to smell the back of your hand. And then you'll kind of reset. And then you can go and try to smell some more. But yeah, I mean, avocado blossom honey is its not a favorite for a lot of people. I like it. I, I think it's super intense. It's really dark and beautiful. It's very luscious. So I'm excited to see what you what you think of it.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to do a comparison now that we're talking about these two distinct honeys. How do you know that this honey all comes from pomegranates, or that honey all came from avocados, or another honey all came from, you know, orange blossoms?
1: Well, I'm assuming that where his hives are, that's all there is for like a few miles. It could be a little bit of a mixture of something else, but a majority of it, I would assume, is pomegranate honey. But it could also, that you know, I could taste this next year, the next seasons, and it could taste slightly different because no two harvests will ever be the same, depending on the terrier of it. So or what was happening in that time of the year. If there was a lot of rain, what the pH level of the soil was, how the sun was, you know, just different things in the environment will totally change the outcome of the honey. So it's when you buy one, that's that's the one. It may never be the same. <laughs> right, right. I mean it's kind of like wine. It's yes. the same
0: thing. Yes. So the environment is affecting The plants, the flowers that Mm -hmm. the bees are foraging and all of these other elements and, you know, whether the colony was happy for a majority of the time or, you know, some shock wave went through it. All of that is going to affect it differently because I'm assuming that pheromonal changes also affect the honey
1: itself. I never thought of that. (laughs) 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 I mean, that's, that's definitely a good question. Because it is, you're right, because pheromones are chemicals and they are released either through a scent or through a taste or something. So, yeah, maybe that that does affect it. I never thought about that. That's a good hypothesis. Yeah. I mean, also, no, we're going to have
0: to look into it.
1: That makes <laughs> no, Because it makes me wonder, like, also where the communication could be. Happening within the hive, like there isn't necessarily as much communication happening on the honey than there is where the brood nest is, where most of the action is happening. So that makes me think, what is the radius that the pheromone can travel,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how long does that pheromone stay in the air? Is it just instantaneous? Is it like when we talk, the word once I say the word, that's it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, those are really good questions. I I will definitely look that up, and then I will get back to you on that.
0: All those things always fascinate me, mm-hmm. and I I think I read somewhere that a bee in her entire lifetime only creates like a, t- a couple of teaspoons of honey. Is that a twelfth right? of a teaspoon? Oh, and not that's even
1: a no, and that's even in the last portion of her life. So she's spending a majority of her life inside of the hive. She's maybe only mm. spending like maybe a week or two. At the most, outside of the hive foraging.
0: So when we see a bee out flying, that's the end of her life. Basically.
1: Yeah, that's the end of the her last life. Couple of weeks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Unique. So that's should we? Stunning. Should we taste yeah. this? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. So we're just grabbing
0: a little mm-hmm. bit. Is there any Let's special grab a bit? way?
1: Um, I like to let it kind of sit on my tongue or on the roof of my mouth and warm up a little bit. Okay. To let the flavor kind of open up the taste you'll get kind of right away and if you want you can plug your nose and then release it and the flavor will kind of burst forth through like retro nasal olfaction oh wow because of the way the flavor is traveling back up to your nose this honey is by far my favorite it's so special that's amazing Mm -hmm.
0: is there a flavor wheel too
1: no it goes with the honey and the flavor wheel are the same Oh, okay. So when I taste this one, I get kind of a little bit. I definitely get sour and tart, and uh-huh. I get and I get a lot of sweet. This is exactly. It tastes exactly like the Sour Patch Kid. If this, so we ha- we're tasting the pomegranate honey, and I feel like if this were to be a Sour Patch Kid, this is what it would taste like. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> it's
0: delicious. Mm-hmm. I am getting some of the chemically. Um, Flavors too, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. um But I do get the I get the fruity, I get some of that, maybe a little bit of toasted, and some of the floral.
1: Mm-hmm. I get a little bit of mentholy at, at the beginning, kind of some spearmint type. Maybe that could be the medicine, the chemical type medicine you could be tasting. Mm-hmm. I also get kind of some thyme, so. A little bit woody, a little bit kind of citrus. And then for me, it finishes really tart and just like a pomegranate. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm getting that too. And that bitterness
0: that you were talking about and the the citrusy, the bitter citrus.
1: Yeah. And I also get like a warm, fresh feeling in my mouth, which, which is not a temperature thing. It's a trigeminal nerve that is a nerve in your mouth that will kind of like cause that You know, when you have like an astringency, if you have like a red wine or like a black tea and you kinda get that dried mouth. The tannins. Yeah.
0: So Mm. that's from that
1: that's from that nerve. And that can also create like a cooling sensation in your mouth, but not temperature, just that feeling, like when you're chewing like gum, some kind of winter fresh. Yeah. (laughs) Or something like that. Or or like this, I get like a warming feeling in my mouth which isn't the honey, but it's the, it's just that, that nerve. Yeah. Yeah. Which I right now at the end it's like it's lingering tartness in the back of my cheeks. This honey is just so good. Yeah. That
0: candy, Mm -hmm. that candy finish that it has is really pretty amazing. So special honeys like this, what is the best way to enjoy them? Like, You don't really want to bake with them, but, you know, of course, like putting them on some fresh baked bread with a little bit of butter or something would be great too. But Mm -hmm. I don't know, like if you have a spectacular honey, what should you do with it?
1: I mean, don't save it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You you have to enjoy it. I mean, the shelf life of honey is really only like two to three years because it will start to change. The volatiles in it will change as well. And that could You know, it will change the taste, and it's a gift. You want to just you don't you don't want to hoard it. You want to save it. I hosted a tasting over the weekend. One of our honeys was a sage blossom honey, and we also did chocolate as well. So we had this Ecuador chocolate that was really earthy. We paired it with some blue cheese, and then we put some sage blossom honey on it. Oh my god! Yeah, that charcuterie is. That's probably my favorite way to enjoy honey because I feel like as you pair it with different things, it brings it alive and changes it. And it can highlight, you know, depending on what it is, it can highlight more of the tartness or it could highlight more of the earthiness of it. Just depending on on what you have it with. Um, I feel like this would be really good with like a goat's cheese. Mm -hmm. I feel like we just have this really good French goat cheese. This was the cutest, softest little medallion. I mean, I'll, fi- I'll have to find the name of it, but I feel like a good cheese with some honey or even a date with some different kind of honey. Oh, Sometimes yeah. Even chicken could be good.
0: You know what I really like about this, too, this complete focus on the honey and the way that we're talking about it is that normally... Honey is just an accompaniment, right? Mm-hmm. It's just something. It's never the that, star. <laughs> it's never the star. And we're talking about we've got this star right here. What are these other foods that generally serve as the star ingredients of a charcuterie board
1: mm-hmm.
0: or anything else? Which one of those will highlight this or you know be acceptable to be paired with this star? So I, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what all the tasting is about, right? Yeah,
1: it's fine. Like, I would even try this on the Manchego. I think it'd be really good with the Manchego.
0: Oh, yeah. Manchego. So that probably has, to me, it's got that... Um, Almost like a sizzly sensation mm-hmm. for a moment. So that's probably that trigeminal nerve. That I had no idea that that's what that was. I was always like, God, that's a little sizzly. <laughs>
1: uh, but... I, I like that <laughs> description though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now
0: I know it. Now I know what it
1: is. This would be really
0: good with the Manchengo. I could see that. Wow, that's super delicious. Um, as you mentioned, the shelf life is two to three years. Mm-hmm. These archaeologists have gone into ancient sites and, you know, come out of pyramids and said, you know, there was this honey that was buried with a king centuries ago, and it's crystallized and it's perfectly good.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: it really isn't.
1: I mean, I'm sure that you could, it (laughs) it would still be edible, right? I mean, it won't, it definitely won't taste very good. So honey is like naturally antibacterial and antimicrobial. So mold and stuff can grow on it, but it won't grow in it or through it. So I mean, I'm, I don't know. I I read contradictory things to it about that. I just, I probably don't think it would taste very good, but it's probably edible. <laughs>
0: yeah. At this point, like what's the point? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe just for clout. To- right. <laughs> just to say that you, you tried it.
1: We had to say you did it. (laughs) So the other
0: thing was that you mentioned the crystallization Mm -hmm. of this honey and that being a good thing. So I've had honeys sitting on the shelf that were liquidy. And then after a while, they completely crystallized. And I had to get the butter knife to get in there (laughs) and get them out. And I've heard that you could put honey in the microwave and that'll soften it back up. What's the best way to keep honey once it crystallizes? Is that a problem? Is there a way to prevent that from happening?
1: Is microwaving it not a good idea? Definitely don't microwave it. Um, crystallization is is natural. It's a natural process of the honey because a combination of glucose, fructose, and sucrose, so different combinations of, of each sugar will result in... crystallizations at different rates so like this pomegranate honey crystallized really fast mostly because it was so cold after he harvested it so some people don't like crystallized honey um, and they want it you know liquid so some companies will heat their honeys to make sure that it never crystallizes but that breaks down a lot of the chemical compounds in it making it not as nutritious as you would want it to be. So when you do see honey it's crystallized, it's never a bad sign. But if you want to make it liquid again, I would like make, make it Bon Marie, you know. Don't ever add water to it because then it will just ferment. Then you can put it in some warm water and that will kind of warm it up a little bit to break down those crystals. And that
0: fermentation will it turn into like an alcohol or something? Yeah, it just won't be
1: good. So honey is the bees will dehydrate it down to to like 18% depending on what kind of honey it is there's a range but usually it's generally around 18%. Honeys with a lower moisture content will crystallize faster than honeys with a higher moisture content but the bees I don't know how they know but they know like oh this is right this is ready to go let's cap it and seal it and then that's that but if sometimes you know this was a big problem with honey that was being imported is that it was either the moisture content of it was too high so it was harvested too early which resulted in it fermenting being kind of bubbly smelling like yeast um, and then having an off taste to it but there was also corn syrup was added to it Uh, rice syrup just different things have been added to honey and then sold as honey but without the consumer knowing that.
0: What's the percentage of honeys that are out there that are adulterated, or what is the best way for a consumer to be sure that they're getting unadulterated honey?
1: Buy from your, buy from your local farmer's market and your beekeeper. I know it's hard. People are like, oh, has this, has that. I, I don't know. It's hard to say because you don't know, because there is no standard for honey. For a really much of our food. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. it's like, it's a consumer beware.
0: <laughs> and it's not always listed when no. it's adulterated. No, and ingredients. It's,
1: it's not. It's 100% not. You know, people will say grade A honey. There's no grade. <laughs> pure, oh. raw, pure, raw honey. It's like, well, of course it's pure and it's raw, but that those are just it's greenwashing, you know, it's just, just words added that people will gravitate to because they think that it's better. I would say go to the farmer's market and it's like, you know, you're also supporting your local community and you can talk to your beekeeper and ask them, like, if you're curious, like, what are your practices? You know, do you heat your honey? Things like that. What about, wh-
0: I know that they've got like the creamed honey yeah. that are whipped mm-hmm. or honeycomb versus regular honey. Mm-hmm.
1: So honeycomb is definitely one of the least adulterated honeys you could buy because you can't really fake that because you're just basically taking it straight from the hive and cutting it up, packaging it, and selling it. Um, You can eat the wax when you have a honeycomb like that. You chew it a lot. It's like chewing gum. You spit it out, or you can just eat it as is. That's always a fun way to have honey too. Whipped honey or creamed honey, you have to have like a seed, kind of like a starter for it. So with that, you're actually definitely warming your honey even more because you're you're mixing it. You put this seed in it, and you're adding air, and you're just whipping it with this seed, and it changes the molecular structure of of the honey to make it a creamed honey. Which is funny because like they talked about that in Italy, and how like to the honey sommeliers they were like, no because it's, you know, you're kind of a purist, like, no, I just want honey, just exactly how, <laughs> exactly how it is, right, but to the consumer, they love it, because it's a texture, and the, and the texture of it is just, you know, it's light, and it's airy, and it's spreadable, yeah, but it goes through some processing yeah. to get there, so, yeah.
0: so it's no longer a pure product,
1: I am yes and no. Like it still, is, you're not adding anything that's not honey to it, but you, you're not going to have that for the nutritional content. You're just going to have it for the (laughs) mouthfeel.
0: I've just been, you know, every time that you talk, I've been trying this honey and falling more and more in love with it. Isn't it It is really wonderful.
1: (laughs) It's so good. Like I tried this and I was like, oh my God. And then I, talked to him a few days later. I was like, do you have any more? I should have gotten a bigger jar. <laughs> and, he's, <laughs> and he's like, no, I sold out like sold, oh, like hotcakes. No. And I was like, I can see why. Cause this is incredible. Wow. It's just, it's fun. It makes you like, it makes me really happy.
0: <laughs> it, it's delicious. Do the bees miss the honey when you collect it or do they
1: miss the honeycomb when it's taken away? So to create, to build that comb, which is what the entire hive is made out of, it takes like seven pounds of nectar in order to create one pound of wax. So during a certain phase of her life, the worker bee will be a wax maker. So her abdomens are developed. She's at this age that organs in her abdomens are fully developed enough to produce this wax. So like you said, when you saw in that office, you saw like that string of bees and they were kind of holding each other's legs and arms uh-huh. together. So that's called festooning. Um, scientists aren't quite sure the exact reason why, they, why bees do that. Some think it's to help them build like a scaffolding for building wax.
0: Oh. They,
1: she will secrete this wax from her abdomen, pass it back and forth between her mouth and her legs, getting it to the right consistency to build all this wax. So it's the energy that's going into it when you do take honeycomb because you're taking the comb that they made and you're just you're just taking it out. And then they have to rebuild it. People keep bees for various reasons. Bees need honey. That's how the adult bees survive. Um, that's their source of carbohydrates. That's what they need to eat. On days like this when it's rainy and when it's cold, that's just they're in the box eating. So you ideally leave enough honey for your bees to have and you take what's extra. So what's extra is they say like during the winter months when it's cold, depending on how long your winter is, they say like, you know, maybe 60 pounds of honey to be left on your hive. But some people, some people will take honey and then they'll just feed their bees sugar syrup. It depends on what their MO is you know so that's also a hard thing that I have with honey that's why I don't keep bees for honey if we do have extra honey in our hives I give it to my clients and even then they don't really get a lot of honey they'll get It depends on the season and how the season was we can't guarantee honey unless the conditions allow for it like I think we may have a pretty good honey harvest during the springtime because of all the rain we've been getting Whereas last year we had a really terrible harvest because it was so dry. So it just, it depends. So they probably do miss it to an extent. (laughs) Yeah, I've always wondered. And
0: um, I don't know, I was just thinking about like, I went outside earlier today and I picked a little wildflower bouquet from my yard because there is, like you said, so much Food out there for the bees that Mm -hmm. I felt like I can grab some of these. Mm -hmm. So I've got a bunch of nasturtiums and and I threw some of the dandelions in there because I have so many dandelions Mm -hmm. out there, and lavender and jasmine and all of that. So if I had a bee, Mm -hmm. well, I would need a a colony. If I had a (laughs) colony that (laughs) was foraging off of all of these different flowers, would you be able to tell that it's a mixed variety? And are there inferior flowers? Like some flowers that just make horrible tasting honey. Is there such a thing as that?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think like it's I mean it's all a matter of opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I started to be keeping in Oklahoma initially. And my mentor was telling me, he's like, nobody likes goldenrod honey. It's usually the fall harvest and everybody hates it. (laughs) And I just started laughing. And he said it just has a particular smell to it. And it has like, it's a little pungent. And there's just something about it that people don't like. Some people love it. Some people don't like it. So in terms of like that for like a flavor or aroma profile, yeah, there's some that aren't as like both others like when I I taught a 4-H class and I brought some honey for the kids to taste and one of them was avocado honey and those kids hated it (laughs) (laughs) they were just like why did you bring this and I'm just like because you so you can see that they're all different I mean, especially when you look at avocado honey, you're like, wow, this looks just like blackstrap molasses, you know, right? It's so thick, and it's so dark and oily looking. I love it. But mm-hmm. you know, those kids hated it. <laughs> I think their young
0: palates yeah. have not developed enough, you know, because like most kids are like blue cheese. Are you yeah. Your mind? yeah. Do not put this on my plate. You know, and then we get older and we're like, Bring on the blue cheese! Yeah, yeah. I want it, want it on top of my salad. <laughs> lots of it.
1: <laughs> you know. So, yeah,
0: totally. So I think it's kind of something that you eventually develop a taste for. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, like it's like drinking flavors. bourbon and
1: whiskey. Like your first alcohol, you're like, I want a uh, fuzzy navel. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: What's the sweetest thing on the yeah, menu? Give me yeah. that. <laughs> now I'm just kind of like. Gin and Tonic, yeah. you know, or yeah. <laughs> whatever the least sweet item is. So yeah, it's it's that sort of a thing. That is so funny. Yeah. I'd love to hear what they have to say when you know they get older. We're yeah. I like, oh, tried this and I was a little kid and I hated
1: it and now it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had talked about like if you have like a wildflower honey, if you can kind of pick out different flowers in it. And it's definitely, you Mm. definitely can. So remember in my class, they had mixed two honeys. And they are like, tell us what they are. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because with them, like, you know, they're master sommeliers. And we are just like, we're like kindergartners. So it was just so amazing listening to them. I was just in awe. I'm like, your palate is just like phenomenal. How, how? And just, you know, being able to articulate everything. And I, and I know it comes with time. But, yeah, eventually you, you can. Like, so Evan had given me a citrus honey. And I was like, what's in it? And he's like, what's well, a little bit of grapefruit, um, tangerine, some lemon. And he gave me some other things. I just assumed this is probably all the citrus family. And I tasted it. And I was like, oh, I really taste orange blossom in this maybe a majority of their of what they foraged on in that orchard was orange blossom because that came through really strong for me
0: wow and orange blossoms have the headiest most amazing scent and that comes through mm-hmm. in the flavor as well doesn't it
1: yeah well so the orange blossom it's orange blossom is actually one of my least favorite honeys <laughs> oh, is it really yeah <laughs> I do, I just don't that and like chestnut honey. I, I just don't like them very much. Orange blossom honey to me didn't really smell as much. Maybe it's also just the orange blossom honey from where it came from because it will taste different here than it would in Florida. Oh. It, because, you know, the weather is totally different and just the conditions are just like night and day. So you could get mm-hmm. something from somewhere else. same Same type of varietal but totally different flavor profile and aroma but to me orange blossom is really earthy and vegetal and like kind of like some sweaty socks and I don't (laughs) (laughs) but I think I think if I were to mix it with something maybe like a date to add in some sweetness and then like a nice maybe even a blue cheese stuck in there with some orange blossom like that could be really good on it just to like make it a little more enjoyable for me but on its own I just don't I don't like it
0: (laughs) oh that is so funny and you know when you said mixing something in at the date or Mm -hmm. something else is it ever acceptable to add something to it like I was just thinking wow what would a little bit of smoke taste like in here
1: like to infuse it yeah I mean yeah people do it all the time I'm kind of a purist because I feel like Honey on its own is so special because it's never the same. It just takes you on this like flavor adventure or not even a, not even a flavor adventure. It's like aroma too. It's just like the sensory adventure that you're going on. It's, but it's funny. I had a girlfriend the other day. He's like, well, I love this jalapeno honey. And I was like, and that's good. You should love your (laughs) your jalapeno honey because that that's what makes you happy. It's also a good way to take a really terrible honey and make it good because you're infusing it with something. Um, That's true. But I think this would be really good kind of smoky. Maybe if you like lined the rim of a glass and kind of put in like a little smoky bourbon in it, Mm -hmm. that could be good. Or if like you make. That might be my
0: drink tonight. Yeah. Or like some (laughs) honeyed ice
1: cubes or something that could be good. Oh, that would be really
0: nice. Yeah, I know. I'm like, this is, this is a small jar, but it's got some big plans ahead of it. You know, I'm going to try to make all of this stuff we're talking about maybe a little bit more.
1: Just stretch it. Just
0: stretch it. Oh my gosh, this is really amazing. I know that you have the Honey Sommelier, and what other services do you provide? What's the name of your company? How can people get a
1: hold of you? So my company is called Zoo Bisou. Um, I don't know if you remember Mad Men, and one of Don Draper's wives sang this song, Zoo Bisou and it was just kind of <laughs> about like the art of kissing and how it's fun and sensual and soft and I just mm-hmm. I loved that the sound of that and I thought it was a fun plan words to add and you know bisou is kiss in french but to, instead of B I S O U to make it B E E S O U Yeah so Matt's name my company Zupi-Sou. Soup. And my general focus is on education, being that bridge between bees and the public on what we can do to help and how we can be good stewards to our land and to nature. And I do do hive placements if people want beehives in their backyard. And I also mentor beekeepers as well, new beekeepers that are starting out. I love to teach classes and I think uh, you had found me through Career Day, and that the mm-hmm. youth is one of my favorite, is definitely my favorite to work with. So I love presenting to 4 H clubs and Career Days and stuff like that because I feel like their minds are just so inquisitive and so fun. Yeah, and I also provide my services to other beekeepers in working with them to do flavor profiles. I also do site visits and help people kind of figure out how they can streamline what they're doing or also if there's something wrong with their hive to help them diagnose it. I am a master beekeeper through Cornell University, so it's really fun to kind of mix the art and the science behind it all together and just be as best of a beekeeper as I could be.
0: Yeah, it just makes something really beautiful yeah, out of that.
1: Yeah, and it's so rewarding because it's, it's bees. It brings everybody together regardless of what their thoughts are on anything, and it's a good, neutral thing that everybody loves. <laughs> I mean,
0: literally brings everybody together because every time you sit down for a meal, mm-hmm. there was a bee behind that meal. <laughs> yep, some kind of pollinator. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have a lot without them. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you do and, you know, which is what we just finished doing was the Honey Sommelier. Is there a place if people want to experience that? So what would they need to do?
1: I, um, you can email me through my website. I do in-home tastings as well. Sometimes I'll partner with certain people. I partnered with a chocolate maker, Baro Shokula, this past weekend, and we hosted a tasting at her chocolate studio. So for me, I'm more of a traveling taster. (laughs) If people have a space they'd like to host something at, I'm more than happy to come backyards, corporate events, really anything. I am working on trying to get my own space. My sister has graciously opened up her backyard to me <laughs> oh, <that's so laughs> to host. Nice. To host. Um, but really anywhere, you know, it's because you don't need much. You just need some wine glasses, palette cleanser, and a piece of paper. It's a really fun thing to kind of just do on a whim, too. I've done a few girls' nights where we just kind of sit around and taste honey together and talk about it. Uh, my website is probably the best place to reach me because you can email me there, Z O U dot com. you can also find me on instagram my instagram link is through my website as well but yeah thank you so much for having me it's been such a joy and a treat to talk to you and get to know you over email i I hope we can be friends and hang out after this too. <laughs> definitely. As soon as
0: my olives are ready, I should hope that they turn out. Definitely going to be sending you at least one jar. You know, I don't know how many I'm going to get, but you will definitely get to taste some and, and hopefully you like them. Thank you. Gosh, I cannot tell you how much fun it was to do that honey tasting and spend time with Elisa I for one vote on bringing back the lost childhood art of playing with food and being fully present to its textures and scents and flavors and attributes. Please also be sure to buy local honey, support your farmer's market and your local beekeepers and try all of those amazing varieties of beautiful blossom goodness so that you can make honey the star on a charcuterie board, Or do what I do, which is one of my favorite things. There is no better canvas than a perfectly toasted piece of bread to showcase that amazing honey. And above all, stay sweet. Check out the show notes and please take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming in the company of friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E Podcast. I am Silannan, The Queen Trail, And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, sweet honeybees in your garden, wonderful moments, good friends, elegance, and beauty.